Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. so excited to dive into today's episode. But before we do so, a quick word from our sponsor. Deciding how and when to pay off student loans is not an easy decision for most. Many of you are feeling weighed down by your mortgage-sized student loans and are asking yourself, how did I get into this mess? Student loans contribute to stress and burnout for PAs, as well as other high-earning professionals. Many PAs, even with the best of intentions, unfortunately make poor financial decisions on their student loans. Look no further than studentloanadvice.com. For a few hundred dollars, they will meet with you for about an hour. They'll go over your personal student loan situation and help you come up with a plan for optimizing your student loan management. Find out how much they can save you today at studentloanadvice.com PAFI. And if you are interested in learning more, check out the PA the FI Way podcast episode 42, where Andrew, one of the co-founders, joined me as a guest. Otherwise, head over to studentloanadvice.com slash PAFI. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm so excited for today's episode because the gal that we're going to be talking to is super fun, and she's going to share tons of information, particularly about locum tenens. And I think that this topic will be super informative for a lot of current and future PAs. So I'm really excited about the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So welcome to the show, Caroline. Thanks for joining us. Hi, yes, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, super excited to talk about the different aspects that we're going to talk about, about locum tenens, as well as how that can pertain to financial independence. So thanks so much for joining. And can you introduce yourself, Caroline, and talk about what kind of PA you are and things like that? Yes. Uh, so my name is Caroline. I've been a physician assistant for the last six years. Um, I initially started off in inpatient psych, then moved to hospital medicine, then family medicine. And now for the last uh, little bit over a year, I've been working in locums. Very cool. Do you mind sharing going back six years ago, right after PA school, do you mind talking a little bit about the amount of student loan debt that you had, as well as how you had described to me earlier, how you feel as though you were self-proclaimed, quote, broke at that time as a new grad? Yes. I I think at the time, I don't think I recognized how broke I was, but looking back, I was broke. <laughs> so um, I ended up taking out uh, the full amount for my student loans to cover my housing, transportation, medical supplies, everything. And that ended up being about $90,000, uh, which over the course of the four years, 
um, before the moratorium on student loans, it had accrued an additional $25,000. So so when I graduated, I just felt like I was under this huge um, mountain of debt. And uh, fortunately, I had got a job um, a couple months before I graduated um, that was going to be starting um, about two months later. So after graduating, I was able to come back home to my home in Nashville. And my sister let me stay with her because I I did not have any money to my name. Uh, So I stayed with my sister for a few weeks and uh, she let me stay there for free and she fed me. And in exchange, I helped uh, her and her husband with her two children that were in elementary school at the time, taking them to their activities. And it was a huge, huge lifesaver for me. Um, But then I had to get myself to Minnesota uh, to start my first job. And I had to rent my apartment and uh, had some moving expenses. So the the place where I was hired, they did have my moving expenses covered, um, which was awesome. But I wasn't going to get that reimbursement for uh, until my first paycheck. So I had to figure out how to get there. So I opened up my first ever credit card, uh, which was kind of terrifying for me. Um, But it was one of those uh, credit cards with zero interest introductory fee for the first 12 months. So I knew that I could put a balance on that and then pay it off when I started getting paid. Um, So I... I took out the card. I was able to get myself to Minnesota by driving there. Uh, But then when I got there, my supplies hadn't arrived yet. So my bed, like none of my belongings were there. I only had what I could fit in my little Honda Accord. So for uh, the next few nights, I didn't have money for a hotel. So I actually had to sleep in the common room of the apartment complex I was living in. Oh, my goodness. uh, And sleep on that couch. Wow. which uh, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. But um, but eventually my things arrived and I had a little bit left on my credit card that I could spend. So I went and got some, some food at the grocery store. Uh, but then once my job started, I realized that I could actually charge my food from the cafeteria to my, uh, to my future paycheck. So okay. I was like, oh, what a way to, to have some money until my paycheck comes in in a few weeks. So I ended up eating almost all of my meals in that cafeteria, including coming in on the weekends when I wasn't working, just so I could have enough food and uh, make it for uh, until that first paycheck dropped. Wow, that's an amazing story. Thanks so much for sharing that, Caroline. That sounds like it was a very challenging time for you, but it sounds like you're really scrappy and really figured it out. So I really commend you for that. Yes, I I definitely did find ways and my siblings had offered to help, but I was like, no, I got this. And uh, looking back, I probably should have just taken some help. But uh, (laughs) for, for when I've met some new grads, I just, I always like to make sure that they know, like, if you're feeling broke, like, you're not the only new grad who graduated and had no other source of income until that first job, uh, that first paycheck hits. <laughs> certainly, certainly. That's great to try to at least think about for the future. Maybe if some of those PAs that are still in PA school have the means to do so, try to budget some extra money to help swing because it can be two months up to three months before you get credentialed. And that's if you even have a job lined up right away after PA school. So thanks for sharing that advice. And for those who aren't very familiar, could you share with us what locum tenens really is? 
Yeah, locum tenens is literally in Latin means in the place of. So it is uh, a kind of a common name that physicians and APPs use for contract jobs. Um, these contracts can be very variable. Um, for instance, uh, their duration, it could be a couple shifts a month. Uh, it could be just going and working for somewhere for one week, or you could be there up to a year. Um, there's also different ways of looking at it as a temporary assignment. Um, like you're just maybe someone's on maternity leave and you're going and filling in for what until they come back. Or a lot of times they are what we call temp to perm positions. And that's when somebody may have left their former job and they're looking for somebody to fill that spot. And so they're just having a contract worker come in during that time. And if they like you, they might offer you that position permanently. Uh, and they also can be very variable as far as location. So some people like to do these assignments uh, in their own city. Um, sometimes you can find those, especially in really large cities like New York. Some people just kind of go from place to place to place um, throughout their own city. Or some people can able to go to another state. Or you can even go to a, another country sometimes, especially if you're doing some things kind of with the military. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So where has your favorite state or place that you've been for a locum's position been? So I ended up getting kind of, uh, I wouldn't say stuck, but I've been in New York City uh, since the about my fourth assignment. Sure. And I've just really enjoyed it here. Uh, the experience in New York has been so much fun. I've made new friends. And so I've just been finding various assignments within the city right now. Very cool. So how did you get into working locums? Well, as many things of change have occurred to people these last couple of years, it started with a pandemic. Sure. I was working in a family medicine clinic in Nashville with just one other provider. And when the pandemic hit, you know, our census just dropped dramatically and there was not enough work for two people. So my, uh, my boss let me know that she was worried about uh, the ability for me to work that month just because there was enough work for the both of us. And so that led me to kind of start thinking, well, what can I do to make some extra money during this time? And uh, of course, everybody was watching what was going on in the pandemic and in New York City. And I thought that that would be an amazing opportunity to really be at the ground floor of all of this. So I took a job in New York for a, a COVID crisis assignment for the month. Wow, that's amazing. So what type of PA were you during that? What position or specialty did you work in with that crisis? So I was hired as a PA hospitalist. Okay. But when I arrived, it was very different. Um, I was working at a field hospital in New York and uh, the field hospitals initially were thought to be, this is where we're going to put more and more patients as they accrue and they come very sick and it was equipped um, for those people. But what it what the field hospitals really became in New York was just kind of a place for people who tested positive for COVID. Um, they weren't that sick, but they but maybe their families didn't feel comfortable with them coming home or maybe they lived in very small apartments. And they couldn't they couldn't socially distance by going home. Um, or maybe they were just patients who had severe mental health issues and they were showing up to the ER, happened to test positive. And, uh, and so they, and there wasn't anywhere for them to go. So sure. this field hospital experience actually really became more of a kind of a holding area for patients slash 
uh, a psych unit, uh, okay. which was pretty interesting because not many people there had a background in psych. So I was actually able to assist a lot with um, with patients who were there with um, for psychiatric complaints and, and to assist with them until we were able to get them somewhere uh, that was better fit for their needs. Okay, awesome. So you've touched a little bit on this next question already, but what was your experience like working ground zero of the COVID pandemic? I can imagine that might have been a little scary for some or apprehensive for some, but it sounds like you really kind of took the opportunity to dive in and jump in to help out. Yes, it it was exciting, but it was also scary. I mean, um, before I left, I actually had a girlfriend of mine is a lawyer that works in estates, and she helped me form a, a will. Um, Just in case. I mean, if if you recall at the beginning of that, we really didn't know that much about COVID. And on the news, we just saw young, healthy people dying. And we didn't really know what was making them more likely to die of COVID than the next person. So um, and I also knew that I was going to have one mask, you know, one in 95 mask for a month. So it was, I mean, yeah, we, we did in a way put our lives on the line. and, And I was prepared for that in the sense that I was making sure everything was arranged. I even I even uh, put things together in my bedroom for my roommate that I'm like, hey, in the event I don't make it, uh, this is where you can find these things, make sure my sister knows uh, how to find this information for my bank accounts, all those kind of things. So so yeah, in a, in a way, I was very much prepping for the worst case scenario, but at the same time, uh, I was very excited for the opportunity. And to be honest, I didn't think about the pay initially. It wasn't until the first paycheck hit that I was like, oh my gosh, like, because they were giving us hazard pay for for the for how much was unsure at the time. And when I got home, I was able to to put a large chunk into my student debt and $9,000 just bam, right there. Mm-hmm. And as well as able to create uh, three months of savings, which I had, I had not had before. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing your experience, Caroline. I think that it's very brave of you to have gone ahead and jumped in. And, you know, like you said, having to make those big life decisions at such a young age and prepping for the potential worst. So thanks for doing what you did. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) And then it sounds like that you touched on that you have used your experience working locums to finish paying off your student loans. Could you share your student loan payback experience that you've had over the years? Yeah. So when I initially started paying off my loans after uh, you know the first two paychecks at my job went to paying back my credit card debt that I had accrued for that one month period sure. um, and also did $1,000 into my savings. So I very much followed Dave Ramsey's method at the beginning because um, I hadn't really been exposed to much and Dave Ramsey's huge in Tennessee. So I just kind of went by his philosophies with money. Totally. So I created created that $1,000 savings account. And then I started to use the snowball method. Um, and so I paid off my smallest loan first and kind of ignored the interest rates. And that was definitely gratifying to see like, oh, poof, like no more, that loan's completely gone, no more interest coming off of that. And um, and that was the method that I took. Nice. It sounds like those psychological wins were motivating for you as you continued to pay off your student loans. Yes, they they were a a very large win. Um, But since starting locums, I was able to really magnify the amount that I was paying towards my student debt. 
So uh, in the five years after graduating, I was able to pay $77,000 into the debt. And I was you know, pretty proud of myself. I was excited for, for the work that I had been doing. But this last 12 months, I was actually able to pay $38,000 into that debt. So uh, over half of what I had paid already, I was able to pay this past year. That's amazing. That's very impressive. Great job on paying off your debt and doing it aggressively. That's great. Can you share what some of the pros of working locums as a PA are? For me, the biggest pro would be the flexibility. Uh, I really like that I'm able to have these prolonged periods of work followed by a prolonged period of of not working. Um, You're also able to avoid the office politics when you're a locums provider. I'm sure everybody has that experience when you're working in an office, you've got that one person you work with, that's just like driving you insane or, <laughs> uh, or you're always hearing things from administration that just like, you know, all you got to always meet all these requirements. When, uh, when you're a locums provider, they, they don't really mess with you as much for those kind of things because <laughs> they know you're not going to be there very long. And as far as the office gossip, people typically don't include you in on that gossip. And it's it's quite wonderful. Sure. That makes sense. <laughs> um, and there's also uh, the ability to see new cities. Like I had visited New York City before with my sister, but being up here has been so fun. And it's like getting to really take advantage of uh, this amazing city. And I also uh, did an assignment in Atlanta uh, and or in uh, outside of Atlanta. And I really enjoyed getting to do that and interacting with the people there. Um, I've made some new friends on locums assignments, even if they're just, you know, friends for the week, friends for the month. Uh, those have been some really enriching experiences. And actually one of the friends I made uh, through my locums work, she and I are going on a medical mission trip to Pakistan this summer. So uh, they, these friends have uh, gotten quite close to it, which has been very enriching. And and of course, the, the money is excellent too. Um, the money does tend to be higher than staff pay because they are paying you for the inconvenience of you know taking up your life and going to another city. Sure. Well, thanks for sharing all those pros. It sounds like there's quite a few to certainly consider working as a locums PA. So thank you for sharing those. And then going back to, you know, some of the office politics and things like that. Do you feel as though the local, you know, clinics or hospitals or things like that, when you are working as locums, do you feel as though they're just thankful to have you there? Or do they do you still feel as though they're kind of like, okay, you need to be meeting this criteria doing, you know, seeing this many patients meet this quota? You know what I mean? Do they still kind of have a high expectation for you in all of those aspects? Or are they like, thank you so much for being here? Do what you can, you know, type of thing. Yeah, I think that the the gratitude is definitely there. And it's, it's nice, you know, they're not just like, like, a, you're going in and filling positions that they were lacking before. So these people had been working down a person. And now they're able to take off more time. They're able to, they're not having to do mandatory overtime. So there is some gratitude there. Um, I know I've heard amongst like for travel nurses that sometimes there is some resentment that can happen, especially since the travel nursing rates are, are so inflatedly high, like they're actually are higher than APP rates right now. Yeah. And I know that can cause um, 
some disagreements and it can be very challenging. But as far as my experience has been so far, since our rates are not as inflated as the RN rates are, people have been quite kind to me and, and appreciative. Awesome. Great. So now that you've covered some of the pros of working as a locums PA, can you share what some of the cons are? Yes. So some of the cons would be the lack of job security. I I would say that this is the, the thing that I think people aren't as aware of when they're deciding if they want to do locums or not. It's just that you're not guaranteed this contract. Um, you know, it can be in writing. It can be like, hey, your day is supposed to start that day. But at the end of the day, if the place you're going doesn't need you that day, you're not going to start your assignment. Um, that means that some people can lose money. They might go to the city. You know, Maybe their recruiter said, hey, you're going to start November 1st. And they get there November 1st, ready to go. And then they're like, oh, actually, you're not going to start till November 12th. So then they're stuck with a decision of, well, shoot, I already like paid for this Airbnb. What can I do? Sure. Um, which is why... Utilizing hotels can kind of help with those situations, but um, other times you get to an assignment. This happened to me recently. I got to an assignment and I thought I was going to be there for a month. And on the second day, they were like, hey, we're actually only going to use you for the next 12 days. And I was like, oh, okay. I uh, didn't realize that they were cutting the contract short. So it um, it's it's not something... That is good if you are really tight on money, if then you'd want to make sure you have a little bit of savings, some wiggle room in case a contract does fall through. Um, another con I would say is that it can be kind of complicated at first, especially if you're doing 1099 work, because if you are doing 1099, then that would lead you to likely want to create your own business entity. You have to get it up start learning taxes that you had never understood before, you know, trying to find an accountant to help you with those kind of things, um, setting up payroll, all those things were just so foreign to me and I had no background in it. And it was quite overwhelming to, to set that up. So just like a huge learning curve. Um, and then being away from home, obviously is hard. Uh, I'm personally, a, I'm single and I think it makes things a little bit easier on some fronts, but not to say that people in relationships can't do this locums work. I've definitely met people on assignment who are in relationships who are thriving in the locums community. But it it is just tricky being away from home. You know, being away from your own bed, your own apartment. It's uh, the, the weather. Like leaving the Tennessee weather, coming up to New York recently was, was challenging. I was really enjoying myself in Tennessee. And uh, sometimes it can be hard to kind of uproot yourself when you have a, a flow and the biggest con to me is I can't have a pet. I want to have a dog so bad, sure. but having a dog and, uh, you know, doing this on my own, I can't have a dog to come up here, you know, work a 12 and a half hour shift. Like, I mean, how, how would I arrange Rover and all those things like from the hotel? So, uh, or like having to have a dog sitter at home for weeks at a time, it's, it makes it to where I can't have a, have a dog. And uh, so that's, that's the most tragic part, I would say. <laughs> well, I am sorry to hear that you can't have a dog and that you do find it tragic. But I hope one day, Caroline, that you get the best dog that you ever wished for. That's what I hope so, too. <laughs> I will have the dog figured out by then. I'll know exactly what I want. And, um, and he will be named as some derivative of a Harry Potter character. And, there you go. Um, I'm, I'm excited for that day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then for working locums, how does insurance, malpractice, and all the other benefits work? Yes. Yeah, so this is, I would say, a very common question that I've seen in various Facebook communities for locums is people are like, how the crap do I do health insurance? How, how will I save for my retirement? Those things do take some investigating. And um, so I'd, I'd like to be able to share that. The first question is about the health insurance. Yeah. Um, luckily, with Obamacare, it has made it a little bit easier for people that are self-employed to get their own health insurance. So I personally get it through the marketplace at healthcare.gov. They have bronze plans, silver plans, gold plans. It's all just price based on how frequently you think you're going to use your insurance. And it's also based on the state that you call home. So uh, when you look at a state like Tennessee that has less taxes, the rates for our self-insurer is much higher than in places like New York City, which is a tax-heavy state. So those are things to keep in mind that your insurance premium can be quite elevated. It can be over $500 at times. Wow. Uh, it also, but it is quick to set up. Like you can set it up in less than 30 minutes and then boom, you have your insurance. Um, there's also some companies that will pay for your health insurance. So these are companies that do the W2s. Uh, one company that's really well known for doing that is a company called comp health. So they will, uh, they will cover your health insurance to a certain amount, and they will even assist you with a retirement account as well. The drawbacks to using companies like that for your health insurance is, let's say you do one assignment with Comp Health, and then the next assignment you take is with another agency. You wouldn't be able to continue that health insurance. You either have to do that over COBRA, or you would have to switch to a Obamacare plan, which would, of course, make you lose any of the money that you had already worked up towards your deductible. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So the companies like Comp Health, they will cover your health insurance and even go into a, to a retirement plan. So that helps you not have to figure out these other ways of saving for your retirement. Um, but there are actually opportunities in America for you to have individual retirement accounts or IRAs completely separate from your employer. Uh, one is called the SEP IRA. It's the most simple to set up, I would say. You could set that up with a... Um, with somewhere like Fidelity or Vanguard, you can set that up pretty quickly and it doesn't require a lot of documentation. And you're able to contribute like 50 something thousand dollars into it a year and uh, and use that for your retirement account. There's another option you can do that I personally do called the solo 401k or the self-directed 401k. I would say that's the most popular like the MDs are the most likely to have those. It's they're very popular in like the, the niche of the locums world. It's like they people sing the praises of a self-directed 401k just because there's more versatility with it. Um, for example, in 2021, you were able to contribute 19,500 as an employer to your to your solo 401k. So my employer is my and my business that I created. So business me is able to contribute that much, but then employee me of my own business is able to contribute an additional 25% of whatever salary it is that I pay myself. So you're really able to get a lot of money into that account 
that you can utilize again when you turn 59 and a half. The same kind of rules apply. Um, but there's also an ability to withdraw money and you can pay yourself back up to a maximum of five fifty thousand dollars and over a period of a certain number of years you got to pay yourself back that money and you're also able to use it to invest in investment properties as long as you don't live in them it's just a it's a very versatile account it does take some setting up i did have to use a servicer to do this for me and it and it it initially just felt extremely complicated, but looking back, I think it was just my naivety to uh, understanding how these things work. But but yeah, having that as a way to fund my retirement after the age of 59, that is, is pretty uh, cool that there's these other options. Awesome. Thank you for sharing about health insurance as well as about retirement accounts. Do you mind touching on how malpractice works if you are working as a locum's PA? Malpractice is almost always going to be covered by the agency. Some would say if they're not covering your malpractice, then you should just find another agency. It is pretty standard practice for them to cover your malpractice. Uh, There have been times during the pandemic where there's been a lot of agencies that have come together just just because of the a lot of need for COVID, especially when it comes to like COVID testing, COVID vaccine jobs. There've just been so many of those that I I know that I've met people who struggle to find the proof of malpractice insurance uh, in in their policy for when they started with them. And that of course can cause pause and sometimes will lead people not to take the assignment. With COVID, there is a way of trying to mitigate the liability of providers. And so most states have very aggressive, like you cannot be sued for anything that has to do with COVID. But people, of course, still are just nervous about that. I mean, you might have seen even like with COVID testing, going up too far in the nose and like causing causing problems, like anything can happen. Sure. So for me, I actually just have my own malpractice policy that I renew each year just to have that extra peace of mind that, hey, you know, maybe I can't find it, obviously, with this assignment, but I do have malpractice under my name and also under my business entity. And that gives me some extra calm in that. But I would say majority of people would not spend the money to have their own malpractice. Great. Thank you for sharing all those details. I think that was all very comprehensive and a lot of good information. So let's say that There are some PAs out there that are listening to this and they're like, okay, this sounds pretty interesting. I think I could see myself potentially working as a locum tenens PA. How in the world would a PA become a locum's PA if they are interested? Where would they start? Oh my goodness. So that, so trying to figure out where to start was actually one of the things that prompted me to create the Facebook group that I have now on uh, APP networking for locums newbies. Cause it was, I found it so overwhelming. Um, but I would say the first step is really to just, you know, take a look at your personality. I know that you did a podcast recently about how your personality interacts with your career choices and your kind of your roles as a PA. And I think that with locums, that's a good place to start. It's just like, ask yourself, can I really deal with the uncertainty that comes with locums? 
for example, if you're someone who tends to be a little bit more rigid, perhaps you're that person that's always quoting, well, you know, on up to date, it says this, (laughs) or you're that person that has like a certain way they're going to treat this illness, like a COPD exacerbation, you're always going to follow these steps. Um, Or maybe you're that person that feels compelled to fix inefficiencies around you. This job would drive you crazy. (laughs) I feel personally attacked, Caroline. I think you listed like every (laughs) one of my qualities. So that's funny. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) The reason I bring it up. (laughs) That's great. The reason I bring... The reason I bring those points up is just that I have come across people during locums and, you know, I see it and I see their their struggle and their emotional turmoil when it comes to them having to repress these things. Because <laughs> um, you're going to, I think that before I did locums, I kind of had this idea that the hospitals are all very similar. So, you know, where I worked as a hospitalist in Nashville, I just assumed that that's how every hospital was. But then I start doing work in New York, and I've been in a couple of different hospital systems since I've been up here, and they're dramatically different. Um, even as far as to are they, do they like to use olanzapine or Haldol for patients when they get upset? Um, do they, what antibiotic regimen do they like to use for different, for like a COPD exacerbation, pneumonia? They're, they're all going to have their own styles of what they like to use, even, even like medications they use at night for sleep. Like you would think that these would be more standard, but they're not. There's very much a culture to medicine I've learned since working in different parts of the country and even a different culture of how you communicate with patients. Like I can, I can say in Tennessee, the way that we communicated with patients, at least at the one hospital I was in, um, kind of tended to be a little bit more like we would give them information and then we'd be pretty honest about what we think is the best, uh, the best next steps. But my experience in New York has been a little bit more of having more decision making on the patients and uh, and not as much, a little bit less paternalistic. And you can kind of say what, what you will about that, which way is better. But it was something that I had to adjust to a lot. And, uh, and, I, and initially I found quite frustrating, but there is just very different styles of medicine and you're going to have to just adapt. You might think your style is the best style, but they don't really care. You have to start to, to adapt to the way that they want you to practice medicine at their hospital. Sure, that makes sense. And in general, you also just need to be able to adapt quickly. Like I'm I'm never going to claim that I'm the smartest person in the room or that I know a ton about medicine. I there's I have many inefficiencies in that area, but the ability to adapt quickly, I think, is what they want the most because the training period for uh, going on a locums assignment is very brief. For example, at a hospital I was in um, last month, I came on the shift. It was my first day. You know, I got my badge. Um, I, I met I met with someone to get my schedule, and then I went to this hospital ward. And within about ten minutes, they said, "Okay." These are going to be your four patients. Uh, I need you to read up on them, go pre-round on them, and and be, be ready to go. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, so there actually wasn't even a training period. And so some uh-huh. of the, the the PAs that I was working with at that assignment, I'd actually showed one of them how to do a discharge summary. 
um, how to use Epic. Like some of them had never even used the EMR system that we were using there. So, and that person that I met, he was very good at adapting. Like, I mean, he, he hadn't worked with this hospital, this system, but I mean, he picked it up. So it's very much a adapt extremely quickly to sometimes to people will probably be surprised about how much you're expected to know. And, uh, and so that's why they usually say that you need to have uh, at least two years experience before you get into locums in a particular field, because people are going to have very high expectations and they don't want to pay to train you. You know, they're paying a lot of money for you. They don't want to spend days and days training you. They want you to get a quick training and then be ready to go. Sure. So if there's a PA out there and is like, okay, I'm ready to jump into locums. What do you feel like is a good first place to start? Would they just start kind of researching companies or how do you think that they should kind of go about that? The first steps they can make after they have you know, done a, a thorough psychoanalysis on themselves and have discovered that they do believe that even if they are rigid, they think that this could be a chance for them to grow as humans and, and, uh, and kind of enjoy this, you know, uh, forced adaptability, which is, I think, always excellent to do, too. I think challenging yourself is great. Sure. Um, I would say that the next thing to do is to look at um, licensing. So for me, I went to New York and I loved the locums experience. So I came back to my job in Nashville and I decided after that trip that I did want to eventually go back into locums. So for the next several months, I just prepared myself to go into locums. So I kept my job. I kept doing my normal work hours um, so that I could have some money in, in my savings account to make sure that in case things didn't work out, that I had other options, that I could find a new job. All those things, I think, is what you need to make sure you can do first. So I did end up getting several state licenses, which is a process. I'm sure that you recall how difficult it was to get your own state license it is no easier for any of the other states. They all have different timeframes, different costs. Some, they only communicate over email, some only phone. It was exhausting. Like I, I spent several months just applying for licenses. And what I did is I actually got them all at the same time because each time you get a license, you then have to, the, let's say you get a license in New York. The license comes through, you have your New York license. Then a couple months later, you get your license in California. Well, California is going to want to know all of your current state licenses, whether they're active, inactive, and they're going to want proof from the licensing boards that you're in good standing. Sure. So then you apply to California and you have to send over proof of New York, the one you just got, and Tennessee, the one you already had, not to mention the one in Minnesota, which is inactive for me. So it's it's a it's very time consuming. So if you're going to get more than one license, just get it all at the same time. So for me, I actually applied for four additional state licenses all at once. That way I didn't have to report each of those to the other companies because I the other states because they didn't exist yet. So I just had to have the one I currently had and my inactive one in Minnesota for each of those. And that's how you send over the proof of your current good standing licenses. And then over the next few months, they've just kind of trickled in as they were complete. Okay. They do cost between like some are as cheap as $50. Pennsylvania actually has the cheapest license in America. That's why I made that as one of my licenses. And then uh, some of them can go as high as $500, $600. So these licenses, they do cost a fair amount, but 
when you're a new grad, that money does sound like a lot, but after you've been practicing for a while, spending that money on a license, knowing that it is an investment, you can then go on assignments there. It's not too bad. Um, There are other ways to get these licenses paid for. Like I know some people that live and die by the getting a locums company to cover that license for you and they'll assist you with getting that license and they'll, they'll pay for it for you. And some people just love the ease of that. I personally, with my personality type, don't like feeling like there's a control there. Like if I, if they get a license for me, then I feel like I somehow owe them something. Like I have to eventually work an assignment for them. And that brings me a little bit of anxiety. So I very much like to just get my own licenses, not worry about what other companies are wanting from me. And then when it comes time for me to use them, then they're there and ready to go. It is an advantage to have licenses up front too, because some places that you'll apply to, they'll say license must be in hand. And so if you don't have that license in hand, then that's one less job that you can apply for. And sometimes the competition can be... Uh, pretty strong with some of these locums assignments, especially the higher paying ones. So having a license in hand is going to give you a large advantage over your peers that are also applying for that same position. Very interesting. So it sounds like you chose PA because it was kind of one of the cheaper licenses to apply for, but what prompted you to apply for the various states that you did apply for? Was it the fact that you eventually wanted to visit them? Was it the fact that Some of them are just known to always have locums positions posted or kind of a variety or family perhaps to stay with or what prompted you to decide which states to apply to? All the reasons that you listed are valid reasons to consider when getting a license. My personal reasons was looking for opportunity. So the more populous a state is, the more opportunities there are going to be. So New York and California are two really good licenses to have because they're such populated states. So that's how I chose those. Texas is also a very populated state and has a lot of opportunities as well. Um, But when I looked at their licensing process, it looked just ever so slightly more complicated. And at that point in my life, I was like, I got to make some decisions. So I stuck with just New York and California. Um, Pennsylvania, I chose because it was so cheap. Um, It did take five months, though, to come through. (laughs) Um, And then the other one I picked was Alaska. And I picked that because I just thought, what a cool opportunity to go and work in Alaska. And they tend to have some very unique positions there. Alaska has, you know, a large population of of, of natives there. And you can go and and work on various reservations. Uh, You can work around this. uh, You can work in fisher communities there. Just uh, opportunities that don't exist in every state. Um, But you can find similar opportunities in like South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, and and Washington as well. So I just kind of wanted a a license that could give me a unique experience that I couldn't find um, in the states I'd already applied for. Very cool. I think that you touching on a little bit of the headaches of applying for all those licenses brings up a great point that I have heard that there's some legislation consideration of perhaps having this kind of blanket license for PAs and, you know, very likely other medical providers as well. But it would be so nice and so convenient if there were some type of blanket, all the states are covered, medical license that we could practice under. Have you heard about that at all anymore working in the locums field? 
the main thing I hear about working in locums is just the sheer jealousy of the compact license of a nurse. Okay. Tennessee is a compact state. And so it, a nurse, if they live in one of the compact states, if that's like their home, then they're licensed in like, I don't know, 10, 15 other states. It might oh, wow. be more than that. And it's it, the ease is just there and it makes it so much easier to travel and um, so travel nursing has just progressed a, a lot long a lot further along than APP and physicians have um I I have heard rumblings of of doing that people have talked about that because it's not like with lawyers you know a lawyer they have to learn the states they have to learn the laws in each state that they practice in and I recognize not every state is the same when it comes to their state laws. But when it comes to a physician and an APP, I mean, we're just practicing medicine and there's not these big differences. And it's not like that's even a part of the licensing is knowing the differences between the states. It's just, it's a, it is just a lot of red tape. And I, I'm hopeful that one day that does change and that will make locums feel more accessible to people that uh, don't already live in these states that have a high locums population. Yeah, definitely. I believe the area that I have most heard about the rumbling, so to speak, is in the area of virtual medicine. So telehealth, you know, telepsych or those types of areas. So maybe one day something like that will happen. And it seems as though it'd be very convenient for both providers and patients. Yes. And I think COVID can help to spur that along because even like I got a Georgia temporary license during all of this because why not? It was just so simple. I am going to let it expire. But it was a license that I was able to get in maybe two days. I just had to submit proof of my NCBCPA scores and uh, and one other thing, I can't remember what it was. It was so simple. And I was like, why can't all licensing this be this simple? And there was a lot of states that were doing these temporary licenses. So it's like, I think that COVID proved that it's possible to make these licensings quicker and, and less invasive. Um, so I, I hope that that does spawn on this trajectory of having less and less time spent towards licensing. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I think it would be very nice if some of those changes were made in the future. And then Caroline, do you recommend certain locums companies over others? I don't know if you want to say any particular names. It's totally up to you, but it could be helpful for some of the listeners. And do you have any particular advice when PAs are considering signing up for a certain company? Any, you know, red flags to think about or, you know, attractions, benefits, things like that to look for? I started locums during the pandemic. And so things were very different amongst the companies during that time. And so I don't have a lot of experience with the traditional big names that people have heard of, like Comp Health and Barton Associates. I do know that there's sometimes people will kind of get hate for a certain locums company and it'll just be, you know, uh, echoed across Facebook, like this company is the worst, never work with them again. But then someone will always chime in and say, I had a great experience with them. You know, I think that there are good and bad to all of the assignments. And I think that uh, having a great recruiter can make a traditionally bad company seem really amazing. And I do 
And some people love sticking with just one company and being loyal to them and sticking with that recruiter and just always doing each assignment with that company as they feel more and more comfortable with it. And I would say the most important way for picking an assignment is just picking a locums company is following what's most important to you. For me, it was high pay. I wanted high pay more than, you know, great user experience. So I just focused on finding companies that were focused on uh, pandemic and crisis pay. And that led me to four different companies over the last year, two of which are no longer even companies anymore. They just kind of came during the pandemic. They, you know, they were utilized during that time. And then, you know, they, they got their money and disbanded. Interesting. And then others will pick a company based on the pay structure. So some people love that W-2. They like the ease of having a W-2 job. They don't have, it's, it is less complicated. You don't have to track your business expenses. Other people love the 1099 because it can ultimately lead to making more money overall. For me, I pick also based on are they 1099 or not. I definitely prefer a 1099 position. Um, I will say a mistake I made when I was first starting off in locums was I signed up for all the different companies, filled out their all of their uh, packets that took probably an hour for each one. And then you have to put in all of your references and, you know, people, all your friends are getting contacted by them and either having to like they'll get a call after call about uh, echoing what the references is for. So I, that's what I did initially. And then I, you know, I haven't worked any assignments with literally any of those companies I signed up for. So I think that it is uh, what's best to do is just not sign up. You can look at the jobs. They kind of make it look like when you sign on, when you go to their website, it makes it look like you can't look at the jobs unless if you have an account with them, but it's not true. It just involves a little more clicking, but I would say, look at the jobs. And if, if there's one there that you're like, this is my dream job, this is exactly what I'm looking for, then call, talk to the recruiter, get some more details, find out what the rate is. And then if that's like, yes, this is what I want, then go through the rigmarole of filling out all that paperwork. But save yourself the hassle and don't fill out paperwork for every single company because you probably will never do an assignment with them. That makes total sense. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> And we've been talking about so many different things to consider for locums tenants work for PAs, and we've touched a little bit on 1099, but I think that we're going to end the first week of this podcast series at this point and then come back next week and talk about all the other things we're going to talk about. We're going to dive more into talking about 1099 work as well as some more questions for Caroline about locums work. So I'm really looking forward to next week's episode as well. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today, Caroline. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.